Welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Julie Smith. And this week I'm with doctors and food writers, Emily and Amy Chung, aka the Rangoon Sisters, whose grandmother's mother's recipes inspired them to become a favourite on the London Supper Club circuit. When they cooked Burmese food for us, I suppose in a way it was a way for them to share that missed experience with us to then inspire a kind of discussion about times in Burma and memories of their time there. It's a way to connect us to that. Their debut cookbook is number eight in the Observer Food Monthly's top 10 food books of 2020. The sisters have been cooking up their Burmese family food since their first visit back to the old country in 2012 and have raised more than £10,000 for charities through their sub club since. But why would an NHS psychiatrist and a sexual health consultant be so drawn to hosting supper clubs? I mean, to be honest, that it was not an idea to start off with. It wasn't something that we'd talked about or planned necessarily. It all just happened very spontaneously. Um, so we were we were just attending a, a supper club ourselves, and we then ended up just talking about it. And we went, mm, I wonder if we could do something like this and showcasing Burmese food as, you know, it's not really something that's, you know, very commonly found in London or in the country. So we just got speaking to the organiser and we just got a yes, which was all very surprising. And then um, and then we really realised what, what an event was going to actually involve, <laughs> which was obviously a lot of a lot of cooking, a lot of planning. But it was a success and people really loved it. So I think we, we did fall into it. And then obviously we, we just kept going because people seemed to enjoy the events and we also enjoyed it as well. I'm still surprised that people have enjoyed them so much in a way because it's just the food that we cook normally. But I guess there must be that aspect of, of us and bringing... It's, I like to think of it as the events being like you were in our house you know in our home bringing you into our home feeding you the food that we love and that we want to share and meeting us and our families because you know we wouldn't be able to do this without our families our husbands our parents and our close friends who help out and give up their time and are also really enthusiastic and passionate about the food yeah, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it was the time of supper clubs. It was when lots of people were really interested in finding different foods from different places and eating them in cool new places. It was also the year after you went to Burma for the first time. Were you kind of in, so inspired by that trip to bring it back? Were you playing with new ideas? Emily? I suppose we probably had a bit more in our repertoire and I guess we we definitely had been more inspired having visited for the first time to have the food there um, amongst all the sites that we'd heard and read about um so I guess we've always been really interested in food in general because um our parents were you know a big food fans and wanted us to try lots of different things so as much as we would eat Burmese food and Chinese food they exposed us to all sorts of different cuisines growing up so I think we've always been food enthusiasts haven't we yeah and and Burma itself as a place in the 1940s 1950s was a very multicultural place wasn't Definitely. it had lots of very I mean you know we're talking Indian Chinese Japanese influences of course because of what was happening through that time politically let's just start going through your your food moments because a lot of those ideas do come in first of all um the dough sticks how do you pronounce these ones Emily so 
in so in Burma they call them ichakwe and these are long dough sticks basically like a doughnut I would say two pieces of dough which are squidged together and deep fried and these originate in China um, and there's kind of a quite amusing folklore story about um, a couple who were treacherous and that's why the Chi- in Cantonese it's yao shag wei um, um, which is like deep fried devils or ghosts and we grew up having these from our dad because he's from he's from Hong Kong and we would have them alongside congee or rice porridge and he would so I remember growing up as a child thinking this is kind of quite a boring dinner but they would be accentuated massively by having this deep fried crunchy dough stick and I guess what I love about having this in the book is it makes me think of dad who passed away nearly two years ago now and how he loved them and they kind of marry together with our mum because dough sticks have traveled all over southeast asia asia you can get them all over the place and you can have them sweet or savory so we'd have them savory with dad with the congee but you can in burma it's quite popular to have them dipped in condensed milk (laughs) or really sweet tea or coffee in the morning so sweet or savory and they're just really comforting and they just yeah they make me think of dad and although he knew that the cookbook was coming and he was an avid supporter of us having initially sort of wondered why why would you do this why are they why are they doing these supper clubs they're not gonna this doesn't earn them it doesn't earn the money why would you do anything that didn't earn you money but actually over time he became really enthusiastic about it and helped out and yeah he would have been really excited to see this recipe in in the book I think. Now your mum was came from Burma she grew up in Burma and she was sent to a boarding school that must have been a huge wrench um, and her parents then moved to Thailand so do you think that there was a big move from real classic Burmese or did they take the food from home with them on their travels what was the sort of the the journeying of that food then? Amy? I mean, I I think that they generally brought it with them from Burma. And I think, well, from what mum said about boarding school, I mean, I think it was very much that English boarding school experience of the kind of the foods that she got during that time. So um, not much cooking at that point. But obviously, when things moved on and and she met dad, I think they did a lot more cooking. And obviously, mum then sort of went to the kitchen, sort of wanting those Burmese flavours again, and, and she had that flexibility to do that. I'm very interested in, in rupture. Um, a lot of the people I speak to, you know, they realise that the food from home was part of their identity. It was part of a void and an ache mm. that they felt when they left it. You know, they, they, they cook their way back to themselves. Um, it, your story is quite different because your mum had that rupture, but you grew up in London, and I'm just wondering if she was if she communicated that sense of you know that need to bring herself back to her Burmese self. Emily, I, I suppose when she or Grandma, because mm. Grandma lived with us as well, her mother, when they cooked Burmese food for us, I suppose in a way it was a a, a way for them to share that missed experience for us, for for with us. Um, to to then inspire a kind of discussion about times in Burma and, you know, when they would eat things and memories of their time there. It's a way to c- 
connect mm. us to that. And certainly, I guess that the main way we could connect with that before visiting was through food and and sharing food and then the, the sort of talking about it afterwards. Um, because it is it was a bit difficult growing up because they weren't necessarily part of although that you know there's a big Burmese community in this country they weren't necessarily part of that I think because they came separately because mum was here on her own for many years before our grandparents came whereas when families came all together they kind of connected with other families and stayed in touch so that really was the only way through food um until of course we went there you know more more recently yeah, but it is the perfect Definitely. way to connect, mm-hmm. isn't it? Because it's visceral um, and it takes time and there's that chopping and chatting oh, and, yes. c- and talking about uh, where things come from and how people did things that really brings food to life. It it really does root you, doesn't it, in, in a very real way. Let's talk about your second food moment. You say that the obviously the geography of any country impacts on the food from different regions, but... The key ingredients in Burmese cooking are onions, obviously. There's masses and masses and masses of onions. Um, shrimp paste. How do you pronounce that? A pea. And, of course, the tea leaf. Mm. Uh, lapet. Now, tell us about your second food moment. It's the tea leaf salad. Lapet tho. So this is really special. It's really unique to Burma. And it's made with the lapet, which is the fermented tea leaves. So it's a really, you know, it's, it, you know, one of Burma is one of the places, few places where tea is actually eaten in a dish. So it's one which we love to serve at our supper clubs because, you know, it's, it really gives you an idea of a taste of Burma, we think. Um, and in the salad form, you, you combine the fermented tea leaves with, with garlic oil, with chilli, with lime, fish sauce, dredged shrimps, and then these crispy beans and seeds. And you mix it all together and it's just full of flavour and full of texture. And we think it really sums up the flavours of Burma as well. I mean, I've noticed that the texture is one of the big things, actually, isn't it? Mm. It's the, 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 the difference. There's lots and lots of things going on. There's lots of different soft and sweet and, you know, the, the use of the egg. Mm. You often get that in Asian cuisine anyway. But if you haven't tried the lapet, you can get it online here now, can't you? Yes, you can. And I think that's, you know, before we used to have to ask our friends to sort of bring it over in their suitcases. But now, yeah, you can just buy it online. Um, Lost Tea Company. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's great. Yeah. And I wonder why. I mean, you know, tea leaves are something that you find all over Asia. Why Burma in particular adopted it as its unique ingredient? Because you don't find it in many other cuisines. Any ideas, Emily? I guess they they do like to Mm. ferment and pickle things. So uh, um, and what they do is they kind of dry out the leaves and then pack them in these big vessels really tightly and leave them for several weeks and then they become um sort of they're moist and the flavor is different i mean it's not it's not quite like eating a raw you know tea leaf um so i guess it's it harks back from that history and i think you know lapet is really important it's it's kind of the history goes back to kind of they would have some lapet after um you know, settling disputes in, you know, the leaders of, you know, whatever 
area if they were settling a dispute they might have some at the end to kind of signify the end of proceedings and it's something that also you you know when you go to someone's house it kind of welcome you know to welcome them in you, you might have some lapets. And when you're t- doing these at your supper clubs, do you tell these stories between the courses? Do you introduce mm. the foods and give some sort of background to it? I think we we definitely that's that's how we do the supper clubs. We you know we at the beginning we say hello and we sort of let our guests know what to expect, and then between courses we come out and introduce the meal. And yes, we do refer to stories or you know the relevance of, of why we're cooking this today, and perhaps that's why people. I guess really enjoy the you know the, oh, the events God, I as well. so miss this. oh I know I really miss a supper we club. do too I mean you brought this gorgeous book out in lockdown um I mean how does that you are the queens of supper club you know how does it feel to produce something like this in lockdown obviously it would have been nice to celebrate in another way with supper clubs and so on but actually mm. we've embraced it because people are cooking at mm. home a lot obviously and they want to travel or explore you know different cuisines without actually being able to leave their home so I think the timing has worked out quite well and it's it's lovely to see people traveling from home yeah absolutely I mean for for me travel is all about food and if I can Mm. cook it in my own home Mm. and have all the stories in 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 a book to inspire me I'm happy because I've stopped flying now so I'm very happy to to be able to eat my way around (laughs) the world still tell us about your third food moment Burma's national dish Emily Mohingar so this is yeah the national dish you can get it everywhere from uh street corners to high-end restaurants different national different regional variations sorry it's a fish soup essentially flavored with lemongrass um uh, which comes with noodles and then obviously again you have the textures with crispy chana dal fritter egg lime it's warming it's comforting and you know we could Mm. not include it and one of my you know favorite childhood memories is coming home from school and grandma would have a big pot of it on the stove and we'd all gather around her tiny kitchen and eat it together, put all the bits on top, uh, talk about the day. And, you know, it'd be a competition between the two of us, how, you know, who could eat the most bowls of this soup? Uh, and like I mentioned before, I think it's a great example of how they've had to adapt to not having their local ingredients they don't have the catfish we don't have banana stem here you know it's a joy to have a grandma at mm. home that's cooking burmese food when you come home from school but we we have one memory where we came home and amy was younger than me quite small at the time we got in the house mm-hmm. and we couldn't mm-hmm. breathe and we were coughing and amy was crying <laughs> and we didn't know what to do and i think we just had to escaped to the garden and basically she had roasted some chilies and I think they'd gone past the point and it was like a pepper spray <laughs> attack on her grandchildren but mostly the, the the food memories were good but yeah that was one the thing that I noticed about that this recipe was the the pan frying the rice flour I don't think I've ever toasted rice flour in my life before it makes a very thick soup as well but what's the idea of of toasting it 
I think um, so. The toasting of the rice wine—it's—it's it's something you don't really encounter, but I think it really brings out an extra level of flavour for the rice flour and almost toasted flavour, which obviously is just going to add to the moengar dish. Um, and I think similarly, in you know, we also toast gram flour as well, and mm. that also brings a lovely nuttiness to to salads um, and and our other dishes as well. So I think there, you know. Mm. We generally in Burmese cuisine, it's this toasting of the flowers, which just gives that other extra level of flavour. Yeah, it's really. it's those textures again. Mm. It's it's that yeah. l- extra Actually. layer that's that makes it a uh, different experience. Your fourth and your last uh, food moment is your prawn curry, your <gasps> mum's recipe. Yeah. Tell us about this one, Amy. This is mum's curry. This is the one we really identify with her, and it's just the most delicious Moorish. Uh, you know Burmese dish and um, we had to obviously include it in the book as well Um, it really you know it's that dish sort of with a lovely onion garlic ginger curry base and all this gently spiced and then adding the prawn flavor and it's a really easy quick dish to rustle up but you know it's just got loads of memories of again sort of being at home and whenever we would sort of revisit home you know after we'd moved out it would always be the top one that we would ask our mum to make for us when we got home and you know it's just really comforting and really welcoming um so you know it it had to be included and and it seems like lots of people are really enjoying cooking it as well we've seen lots of pictures come up and people are similarly enjoying it so that's great to see that's one i have to cook up myself i've I've been long looking through that one oh yeah when have i got a night in when i can do that um you you finished your introduction very tantalizing by talking about the future and saying watch this space i want to know what two doctors want to do with your new position you've got a book out this is your debut cookbook are you going to be writing more books are you talking about a tele program what's your future here emily we will embrace any opportunity that arises really obviously i think for every for lots of people life is a bit on hold um so uh who knows I guess what's not going to change is we're going to still be doing our day jobs um, because we both love them. We're very fortunate that we have these... We're able to combine food with our day jobs and and especially with what's happened recently. You know, I I feel really fortunate that I've got a job, that I get paid. I don't need to worry about that stuff. Unlike so many other people, we're extremely lucky and we still get to to do food. So I I don't know what's ahead, but... I think we both feel keen for any challenge that will be given mm. to us. And we should say, actually, that, you know, I said that you were NHS doctors, you both are, but Emily, you work in sexual health. You're a psychiatrist. Uh, I mean, you are not heading a winter of COVID hell. I think, I think obviously, we're, you know, we're not dealing with, you know, straight in the front line dealing with these COVID cases. But I guess, you know, People still get unwell. People still have issues. You know, um, that's still going to continue. And and clearly, you know, in terms of mental health, I think it's going to be looking to the yeah, forward outcome. Yeah, I think Amy, you're you're probably busy because you know the mental health consequences mm. are going to be are already quite significant. And for us in sexual health, a lot of us. I mean, I was fortunate just by the way that things were. I didn't get redeployed to do COVID, but most a lot of my most of my colleagues had to do COVID. Mm was just by luck i didn't have to i think amy you're kind of propping up services so that you take the pressure off the acute 
Well, the NHS is a family anyway, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Um, you know, it's a community of health carers. And, uh, you know, hats off to all of you for doing the most amazing job. And we wish you well. And, and you know, the most important thing is that people mm. will head into the winter cooking yes you know the people who started to cook will continue to cook the wonderful array of cookbooks that really as we said do take you all over the world just make you more aware of the wonders of uh food to 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 take you away from um difficult situations you know exactly and really fire your imagination so. um your book does really take us to a different place um doesn't necessarily take us to burma i didn't find i, t- I think it took us on a journey back to your parents and your grandparents memories through a very anglo experience and i thought that was really interesting in itself it's almost like it mm. burma it's not even called burma now is a, a wonderful place of your childhood fantasies and your your grown-up discoveries um, and the food that you are cooking, a fusion, mm. a melting pot yeah. of all those different experiences, which make it quite unique. I think it's, you know, it's also, you know, the cookbook also offers something new for a group of people as well. People who haven't tasted food like it. So, you know, hopefully it offers something new and exciting as well. Um, and people seem to really enjoy the flavours. So we're glad that people can now try those things out. Thanks for listening. You can buy the Rangoon Sisters cookbook and all the books featured on Cooking the Books by clicking on the bookshop tab at juliesmith.com. And while you're there, do sign up for the newsletter for loads more stuff happening in the new year. Next week, Trina Hahnemann tells us how and why a plant-based Christmas can save the planet as we talk through the food moments of her book, Scandinavian Green. I'll see you then.